ahead and grab a seat, my friends. Thank you, worship team. Hey, I'm glad you're here today. Um, it's one of the three emptiest times of the entire year. Three smallest Sundays of the year are the Sunday after Christmas, Sunday after Easter, and the weekend of July 4th. So you hit one of the big three. Good job. Um, before I begin, I should let the junior high and high school, middle school, you guys can head off to your class. I heard a yes. So <laughs> they were wondering what was taking so long. Seriously, though, I am glad that you're here. Today is the start of my sixth year as pastor of a congregation here in Washington. Um, like I say almost every year, last year was about Jesus, today's about me because he's resurrected. My friend Steve is a missionary to Russia where they celebrate Orthodox Easter and I didn't realize they celebrated Orthodox Easter, although I should have. The Orthodox Church is strong over there. So I sent him a message last Monday and just said, hey, how are your Easter services? Hope you're doing well. He sent me back and said, oh, Easter's not till next Sunday. We celebrate Orthodox Easter. And I said, got a little preview. He's risen. The tomb is empty. So now he knows what to expect today. And uh, tomorrow when we communicate again, I'm sure he'll have incredible stories to tell me of how their Easter went. But it's true, he's risen, and the tomb is empty, and that's a beautiful thing. But sometimes we have this thing like afterwards, like, what next? And so, when I look at this Sunday every year, like, this is more important to me than my birthday. In fact, somebody said to me a couple years ago, like, we've never had a birthday party for our pastor. And I said, that's not a bad thing. <laughs> it's really not. This Sunday is what matters to me. This Sunday is where I look back and ask, have we done anything good? And God, what do you have for us next? And I think that those times in our lives are critical. We need to ask ourselves, God, are we, are we doing what you need us to do? Are we living up to what you have for us? And then God, what do you have for us next? There's a quote I've attempted to make a part of my lifestyle, and it says, the greatest tragedy is not your death, but it's a life without meaning. It's by a guy named Stephen Christian. Um, and I've asked myself that for the last 15 years probably. Or said that for the last 15 years. is The greatest tragedy, it's not going to be my death, but it's a life without meaning. I have to have a life of meaning and purpose. And I think that's what a lot of us are seeking. When we're seeking a relationship with God, we're looking for meaning, we're looking for purpose, we're looking for something greater than today. And if we're not, we're shortchanging ourselves because God has so much more for us than we could ever imagine. Philippians 3, chapter 3, starting at verse 12, tells us this. It says, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, basically to have understood, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. 
And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. In other words, if you already understood any of it, then do that and keep moving forward. Too often times we want to believe that we have gotten somewhere in our faith. Or we take the opposite approach and think, I'll never get anywhere in my faith. Neither of those things are true. Paul looks and says, to the things you've already attained, keep moving forward. To those you don't yet know, keep pressing forward. So in other words, no matter what you have done or not done, we're going to keep pressing forward. Every year I look at some highs and lows, and I realize most years they're the same. My lows of the year are this. People moved on, and that is the hardest thing for me. I don't know about other pastors, but that is the hardest thing. People that you had relationship with decide not to physically move. That happens. But they decide to find another church. And that's hard for me for this reason, because I always feel like God is enough. I'm not enough. And the reality is, sometimes that's what needs to happen. I've long preached that the river is like, the Holy Spirit is like a river. And you can dam up that river to stop people from going. You can make people feel guilty. You can make people feel obligated. You can make people feel all kinds of things, but that's manipulation. And when we dam up that river, it becomes stagnant. Water has to keep moving. The Holy Spirit has to be allowed to move, and I want him to move in and through people, and he's going to take people so far, and there's, I learned a long time ago, any pastor can only take somebody so far. They say the seventh year is the hardest year for pastors. That's the year that most pastors of a church will leave, and here's why. You guys have heard every story I got. You know every example. You know every analogy. You know everything I've got to say. And it's not that, oh, I'm not willing to work. It's that, I got to relate it to you through my life because scripture relates to my life and it's my job to communicate that effectively. And so it's my job to help you grasp something, not earth shattering, but a fresh perspective on many things you already know. I've said many in this room could beat me at Bible trivia and know more about who God is because you've been walking with him longer. And yet at the same time, God has called me here uniquely to this place at this time to give you something. So I don't have the right to dam up that river, and yet sometimes I want to because it hurts when people that you love and you poured your life into leave, and yet that's part of it. Sometimes they need to go somewhere so they can learn, or they need to get out of the way so someone else can rise into a position of stepping out in faith to do something new. The second low of the year is struggling to help people find meaningful relationships here. I know that we need to continue to improve our small groups and our prayer involvement. I know that there's times during our open prayer things we have on Thursday night and pre-service where there's only two or three, and I always say, hey, if more than one are gathered, at least we've got all it takes in Scripture. So it's where two or three. In the Jewish culture, you may not know this, but there's a reason that Jesus says specifically where two or three is. In the Jewish culture, you couldn't pray until you had ten men present. So until you had ten men present, you couldn't pray. And Jesus looks and says, hey, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there in your midst. That's not just something that he says. It's something that he's speaking to the culture. And I'm here today to speak to the culture. It's not about growing and having the biggest prayer group. It's about helping people find a place where they can connect and having our people that are willing to be there to pray show up each week and pray. Pray for one another. Pray for our services. Pray for our community. But we need to help people Find ways to connect. I've had two families this year 
basically leave because they don't have any relationships here. They don't have any friends here. And that breaks my heart because I can't be everybody's friend. I can't. But I need to enable and empower our people to get out there and connect with people in a real meaningful way. I would say, I'll have breakfast with anybody in the church. I'll have lunch. I'll grab a meal with you. I'll grab a cup of coffee with any of you. But obviously, I can't do that with everybody every week. Most people don't need that every week. They just a couple times a year want to check in, want to connect. Great, I love that. If you know me at all, I'll schedule those three or four days a week. Because I want to be with you. But you guys have to be the church to each other as well. Another low that we have right now is we're still struggling to shape and form what our children's and youth ministries are designed to be. Last week we had over, if you include all the ages, we had 30, over 35 kids in nursery and preschool and, and I look and I go, wow, that is a lot of kids. And we have incredible volunteers who do it every week. But I'm always like, but should more of us be involved in that? Thank you, Mary. Good. Mary directs and oversees it. She believes we should have more involved in it. It's not that we don't have good people involved. It's that, are we doing all we can to help maximize? And again, I've always said, it's not us forcing something down the kid's throat. We're not trying to teach propaganda. What we're trying to do is help them have a fire inside of them so that they own their own faith. They say if a kid finishes, it's, it's actually harder if a kid is raised in church, but if they finish the sixth grade and have not made some type of claim to their own faith, even if they stay in church through high school, they will walk away. They say that that is so pivotal. The, by the age of 12, if they've been raised in church and they haven't grabbed it themselves, they probably won't grab it. Now, oftentimes there'll be some type of thing later in life that draws them back, and they'll look back and say, that was something, that's an anchor point, that's something for me to come back to. But only one out of eight kids who is in the ch- 